Thank you so much, Sue. Oh, fail already. <laughs> Hello, good afternoon. How are we all? I'm busy dropping my phone at the front of church. Can you see me at the top? I'll stand back a tiny bit. Hello. Nice to see you on the balcony. Um, great. Let's pray and then let's unpack this passage. It's absolutely um, a gift, a treat, a joy. Um, Father, we, um, Lord, we just place ourselves into your hands now. We place our hearts and our minds, everything that we are. And we ask that your spirit would come and move in us and shape us to be more like you. And we pray you bring your power now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay. Well, it's great to see you all. I haven't preached, actually, since um, the arrival of our latest little man. Uh, Hudson is here in the building somewhere, I think. He's... Oh, yeah, he's there. Hello. Uh, Yeah. Um, Anyway, sorry to draw attention to you (laughs) whilst you're feeding. Okay. I'm in trouble later. Um, Anyway. Um, uh, But it's so great, so great to be back and uh, bringing the word of the Lord to you. I don't know whether you've ever had a moment when when you've realized you're not in the place that you want to be. Um, Last week, if you were here at the 4 p.m. service, we zoomed in to Malawi with Tom, who's back in the building over there. And uh, we had this, yeah, give Tom a little whoop. Um, We had this amazing moment where Tom was on the screen and we were talking to him in Malawi and hearing about the work that Medic Malawi were doing. And uh, Tom had, in the background, we were just talking about it, there was this sort of like lay-by that he was in, which was kind of pretty grotty, I think, and cold. Um, And it reminded me of a time that I was in, um, I was in Africa, in in Uganda. And I was on my own traveling to the far west of the country, right on the the border with the Congo in the mountains. And um, someone had told me, you need to take this bus to get to this town called Kasese. I don't know if anyone's ever been to Kasese, but I, I got on the bus, which I thought was going to Kasese, and then, as we were nearing our sort of like ninth or tenth hour on the bus ride, um, I thought, something's not quite right here. I should have been there after about seven or eight. And um, the bus stopped and just turfed everyone off with a, an elephant across the road and a few giraffe uh, further up and um, carried on towards the Congo. And there I was, just stood there at the side of the road, knowing I'm not where I need to be right now, and I don't know how to get there. Um, and this, this guy just came out of the blue, to, out of the blue and just said, uh, said to me, do you want to go to Kasese? And I was like, yeah, I do. And he just shoved me in this um, taxi with a, a lot of other people. Uh, and we got to Kasese in the end. But there was that moment of panic where I was like, I'm not where... I want to be. Same thing happened to me last weekend. I was doing a wedding in here on Saturday, and I went to put my wedding suit on. And uh, it's been a few, a little while since I've worn the wedding suit. And as I did the wedding suit up, it didn't fit here, round the middle. And I was, again, in that realization of I'm not where I want to be. <laughs> I'm not where I want to be. And, and the truth is, as I've... Um, as I've been reading this, um, this passage this week, um, I've been feeling like that again and again, that I'm not where I want to be. I don't know if as Sue read it to you, whether they're like the depth and the, like, the gravity of the words sat with you in that way. 
But this is the, this is the, the verse that's just been sitting with me all week. Verse 8, Paul writes, What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. I consider everything loss. Everything. And I just sat there in my study this week thinking, can I actually say that? Can I actually say that with all honesty? That I consider everything loss for the sake of knowing Christ Jesus. And I just sat there thinking, I don't think I can. I want to be able to say that. I really want to be able to say I consider all things lost for the sake of knowing Christ. But I'm not quite sure I'm there yet. And so I've been thinking this week about how do we as a church, I don't know if you feel like in a similar verse, but how do we as a church become and grow into a people who can say that with integrity? That we as followers of Jesus consider everything lost for the sake of knowing him. That each of us could stand up and say that. How could we move a little bit further in that journey this afternoon is what I've been asking the Holy Spirit to prompt in me. And, um, and I've just got three things that I want to kind of bring to you from the, from the text. So if you've got it open or a Bible on your phone or anything like that, it might be helpful just to have it. You don't have to. Um, but uh, the first thing that I think we need to have like, in the right place. So we're reading from Philippians 3, by the way, just in case you're turning to it. Philippians 3. The first thing that I think we have to have in place is, is what we believe about salvation. If we've got that in the right place, then we're, we take a step forward into really being able to say that we consider all things lost for the sake of knowing Christ Jesus. If we know what we believe about salvation about what Jesus has done for us. You notice in, in verse, um, verse 3, uh, sorry, no, verse 2, I think it is, uh, actually, he says, um, he says Paul, Paul writes this, watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. Now, when I was growing up reading the Bible, I thought it was all full of like nice things, you know? Nice words, words of love and encouragement. You know, it's not often you hear Paul use language like this. Well, he's calling people dogs, evildoers, mutilators of the flesh. It's like really strong, isn't it? And it made me think, like, what's he reacting to? What is he saying is so bad about these people in this moment? And what he's saying is that some people are trying to say to, to this group, this church in Philippi, this group of people, that what Jesus has done on the cross isn't quite enough. There's some more stuff they've got to do in order to receive eternal life and be in relationship with God. That's essentially what they're saying. And Paul's like so mad that they would even dare to say that what Jesus has done on the cross isn't everything that we need. You know, that there's something else that we need to do. You know, he says that to be circumcised in this case, there's something they need to do in order to be good enough to be with Jesus, to be in community with God. And, um, and I think when we really know what God has done for us, what Jesus has done for us, it helps us move. When we're reminded of it, it helps us move into a place where that's the thing that really matters in our life. And I was thinking about it again earlier on today. I was in, um, in the prison with Jeff Touchings. We were there this morning. And, um, 
Leon, actually, the chaplain's over, over here. He's visiting us this afternoon. Leon, it's so great to have you with us. And um, I was just surrounded by these guys and knowing they desperately, desperately needed to know Jesus and to know what he's done for them, the, the love that he has for them, what he gave up for them, for them, for each one of them, and for us too. You know, the Bible says that, that Jesus gave up the highest place to come down to earth, to become like us, to, to, to pay the price that was ours to pay. You know, the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, Jesus, so that whoever believed in him would not have to die but would have eternal life. That was the first verse I learned as a, uh, as a little lad um, going to Sunday school. That God loved me, loves you that much, that he himself stepped down in order to take upon himself what you couldn't pay, the debt you couldn't pay and I couldn't pay, that we might know him. Isn't that an amazing thing again, like just to think about, there's nothing you can do, absolutely nothing you can do to earn it. It's free. It's yours. It was given for you. That God loves you. It's just the most amazing mystery when I think about what that actually means. When I think about that and sit there, God loves me. God loves me. God knows me. God knows you. loves you. He came for you. He knows your name. He knows everything about you. He knows everything you've done, everything you're ever going to do. And he loves you. And he gave himself for you so that he might know you and you might know him. You know, that's the message of the gospel is that you don't have to do anything. There's nothing else you have to do to tick, you know, tick any boxes. And Paul's saying, don't. Like that. If, you, if we get this wrong, we're missing the whole point. It's like we're mishearing the very truth of what's going on if we get this wrong. Now, slightly lighter note. I don't know about you, who your favorite comedian is. Have you got a favorite comedian you're thinking of? Turn to the person next to you. Tell them who your favorite comedian is. Okay? Tell the person next to you. Who's, who, do you like to, who do you like to listen to crack jokes? Okay. Come on, shout a few out to me. Who have we got? Peter K. Peter K. Yes. Anyone else with a Peter K? Bill Bailey. Bill Bailey. Yes. Stri- also Strictly winner, right? Talented man. There you go. Any others? Jack D at the back over there. Any from the balcony? Miranda. Yes, Miranda. Is it Miranda Hart? Yes, absolutely hilarious woman. Um, Peter Kay is also my favourite, and he's, he's going to illustrate this point for me very well. So, um, Peter Kay, if you're ready. Peter Kay illustrating there. But if, we, if we misunderstand what it's all about, we miss the whole point. If we misunderstand the gospel, Paul's saying this moment, if we believe that it's something that it's not, then we miss this, the, the depth of what it really is, that it's a free gift for us. It's a free gift. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can do to make God love you any more. And there's nothing you can do to make God love you any less. He loves you. He loves you. If we get that, if we live in the knowledge of that truth, then we get a little bit closer to saying these words, to being able to say these words that Paul says, I consider everything a loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. All right, number two. 
It's about what we know about salvation, what we believe, but it's also about what we value, about what we put our confidence in. If you go back to the, um, to the text, um, uh, later in Philippians, uh, he says, uh, Paul, Paul, Paul writes in this bit of the letter, he, he says that their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And Paul, in, this, in this, this part of the letter, he starts listing out uh, for, for the church in Philippi all these things in, that in his world qualify him as the best. Okay? He, 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 says, uh, he, he says, if someone else thinks they have more reasons, this is verse, uh, verse 4, uh, more reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. Paul starts listing the qualities that mean something in his world, the values, the things that people put confidence on in his world. And he says they're worthless. They they don't mean anything. Now, I wonder, that the, the question I've been asking myself is, what, what things in my world am I putting my confidence in? What things in my world right now, in the world that I live in, am I trusting in? Am I valuing more than I should be? Am I, is my confidence in? Is it in what's in my bank account? Is it what's in my pension fund? How much of my mortgage I've paid off? What's going with my family? What's my confidence actually in? My health? My job? My earning power? All that kind of stuff? What's your confidence in? What's your value in? Because the world, if we listen to it, will tell us that's where it should be, right? I don't know if you've ever had an experience when you've been been growing up with people coming up to you and saying, what are you doing about this? That's not a very good career move, you know? I had that when I became a youth pastor. Um, A few people came up to me with concern, you know, how are you going to provide for a family? All that kind of stuff. Eyes on like worldly confidence, values. Not bad things necessarily in terms of I'm not, I'm not against putting a bit away and all that kind of stuff and making wise decisions. But what is our confidence in? What's your confidence in? Ask yourself the question right now. What am I trusting in? Is there something I'm trusting in more than the, the, what Jesus has done for me on the cross? in this world. Ask him, what is it? If you're like me, there will be be things that creep in, that say I'm more important. I want your attention. Now Paul, in this letter, he he, he says, he says they're worthless. In fact, he, he, he goes on to say, right, he says, I consider them lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. And then he says, I consider them garbage. Now that word garbage, if we unpacked it, it actually is the word for excrement, okay? For, for, for like dog feces. He's saying all this stuff, all, all like being faultless, you know, being a Pharisee, all this stuff that makes me look good in the eyes of the world, it is dog turd compared to knowing Jesus. Now how many of us could say that about the things that we value in our lives that the world values? that it's dog-turd compared to knowing Jesus. It's a challenge, isn't it, to say where are we ordering things in our lives? What's creeping in that doesn't deserve to be there? What are we valuing a little bit more than we should be right now? Can we say as a church that nothing compares to knowing Jesus? 
Nothing compares to knowing him. There's a, a, a um, parable uh, in, in the book of Matthew where Jesus is talking about what the kingdom of heaven is like. And he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. All he had and bought that field. Found the treasure, sold everything for that treasure. Nothing compares, nothing compares to the worth of knowing Jesus. Nothing. It says again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. And when he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought that pearl. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like. It's worth everything. Worth everything. Paul says, their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. That's the challenge that's been brought to us. We've unpacked this book um, over the last few weeks. Lots of people have have drawn back to that, that line. Our citizenship is in heaven. Are we living as people who have come from and who are going back to heaven? That we are here to visit. If we know Jesus, we're here to visit. And we're here to make an impact while we visit. To live in the truth of what we know to be true in heaven. But to live it down here. We want to be a church, don't we, who live heaven on earth. That's what we want to live out. We're desperate to live that out, to be, that, to be a people who are living that out. And I think there's something, we get, a, we get a step closer to that as a church if we say we want to take this seriously, that there are things in our lives, things in my life, that are getting in the way of me saying these words, that there's nothing worth more than knowing Jesus. And I want to sort those things out and I want to move forward with him so I can say these words with integrity. Okay, last point. Point number three. Later on in the chapter, he says, um, he says I mean, and this is really lovely and really comforting for me. He says in verse 12, not that I've already obtained all this. So Paul knows he's still on the journey of moving towards this. It is not that I've already obtained all this or have arrived, already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Isn't that a great line? I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what's behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on towards the goal. So, what else, how else do we move forward in this stuff? Well, I think there are things for each of us, like there are for Paul, that we need to let go of in order that we might move forward and strain forward for what's ahead. Now, for some of us, there might be things letting go of what the world tells us is valuable and saying, we know that's not true, we know that's a lie. We know there's something worth far more than anything the world can tell us is, is of value. For, for, for others of us, it might be the ways of living that don't reveal the heart of Christ that we want to move out of and away from. We want to let go of and move out from. It might be issues of like, unforgiveness, people that we need to forgive in order that we might move forward. 
It might be that we need to forgive ourselves in order to move forward, to let go of something that we might strive and press on towards what Jesus has got for us. And then pressing on. For each of us, um, God has a different call, a plan, a purpose, a reality for us. I was, um, I was talking to a guy this week uh, on Zoom, and uh, his name's Aaron, and uh, he lives in Birmingham. And Aaron's about, I think he's about 38, um, and Aaron was into drugs for a long time in his life. And uh, he'd grown up in, in Birmingham, he was into drugs and into dealing drugs. And uh, there was one moment, one Wednesday afternoon, where he turned up outside of a church in a place called Harborne in Birmingham. And the church was, uh, they were playing worship music in the church at the time. And so Aaron is making this drug deal outside the church. And after he's made it, he, he goes to sort of find out what the music's all about. And he just hangs out outside the church. And someone came out to him and had a conversation with him. And he said, if I go in there, well, that's a place I could never go. I'm not worthy to go there. And this person explained to him that God loved him, that there was nothing that he could be involved in or have done or ever do that could change that, that God loved him. And it hit him between the eyes. It's like, wham. And he went away, came back to make another drug deal the following Wednesday. And this time he went inside the church. And he sat at the back and he gave a list to the curate who was there and he said here's the reasons why I shouldn't be here all the things that he was up to and had done wrong went away came back the next week made another drug deal came inside had a chat with the curate and the curate said give you two options one for some reason we'll move you to a farm in Devon now I don't know whose farm you may know whose farm, I don't know, but anyway, which farm they move people to in these situations. But apparently there's a farm in Devon where you can go if you're in trouble like that. Or come and do an alpha course. He said, well, I don't want to move away, as much as I'm sure Devon's lovely. <laughs> I got you. So he did the alpha course. And whilst he was doing the alpha course, he met Jesus. He realized that God loved him and had a plan for his life and that he was walking in a way which was going to lead to so much pain. And he gave his life to Jesus. He said, he said Jesus, I believe in you. I want, to, I want to give you my life. And then this guy, who'd been addicted to drugs for a long, long time, got free of his addiction almost immediately and apparently had a new addiction to reading the Bible and would read his Bible for two hours every night before he went to bed. And I was challenged listening to that. Anyway, spin on a few years. Aaron is now leading 16 churches, planted all around the world, seeing loads and loads of people come to faith in Jesus. And he told this story, and I'll finish with this. He said he, he had this struggle. Um, that, uh, he, he hadn't seen anyone healed. And uh, he was like, God, I just, I, I just I want to preach about healing in my church. I want to preach about living a life sold out for you, about the things that happen in the Bible, but I want to see some healing so I can really feel like I can preach on it. And he started praying and praying and praying and praying and praying. I want to see some healing. And he said there was a meeting, a prayer meeting they were having. Their youth pastor was blind in one eye. And they were praying for her for another illness. 
at the front. And I think she, I, I wasn't clear when he said it, but I think she got healed from whatever it was, the other illness. He had some oil on his hands. In the Bible, it talks about anointing the sick with oil. So he was anointing uh, this girl with oil. Anyway, I think she got, she got healed of whatever it was. And, uh, and then she just cried out in front of these people, if only God could open my eye. And so he thought, well, all right, let's go for it. So in front of everyone, he put his hand on her eye and he just said, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' On the fourth time he said, in Jesus' name, she hit the deck and she started crying out loud. And he thought the oil had gone in her eye and was making it sting. And then she just burst out, I can see! And this lady who'd been blind for so long in that eye I could see and it made me think it made me it made me think like wow this guy Aaron like he he was desperate to see more of the kingdom of God through his ministry and through his life he was willing to spend two hours reading the bible every night he was willing to pray and pray and pray so that they would see the fruit of the kingdom displayed in their midst in his personal life too he was willing to make some choices and some sacrifices to align his life so that he might better say some of these words. There's nothing better than knowing Jesus and trusting in him. And he went for it. And what did he see? So he's seeing life. He's seen people come to faith, seen people healed, all that kind of stuff. I want to see that. I think we as a church are called to that. And I think for each of us, this passage for me is reminding us, hey, don't let the lies of the world transform you on the inside and transform what you value and what you're living for. We are meant to be a people, we, I believe we're meant to be a people who say this, who say there's nothing better than knowing Jesus to the people around us. And let me introduce you to him. Amen? Amen. Amen. Amen.